what is up ladies and gentlemen welcome back to the dorian show let's just jump into it guys um turns out i, I was uh, i was right a couple of weeks ago i think two weeks ago i was talking about blackstone buying up all these rental properties and uh people are in, are no longer willing uh, are able to buy their own homes you know and they are left uh just renting forever I was saying like how because of the recession, there might be a chance that Blackstone may be forced to liquidate their assets at some point. They haven't done it yet, but I think uh, they are going to start heading towards there. Um, right after I had my podcast last time, news came out that Blackstone was uh, limiting withdrawals from their their REIT, um, their REIT fund, B-REIT, Blackstone REIT fund which is basically they let uh these accredited investors buy this this fund where they just buy a bunch of assets like a housing residential housing commercial uh, buildings to rent out to other people um so apparently they they've always had this rule uh for their fund that they 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 limit up to five percent of withdrawals a quarter um so and that's just to like protect the fund right so if a lot of people buy and they just let unlimited withdrawals like that will uh lead to ruin really quickly because once people go on a run on it uh it'll just lead to more people going to the fund um so what's going on is like a lot of people online i've been checking out the reddit and the news and stuff people are like oh you guys don't need to worry it's not like they they uh just made up this new rule it was always a limit at five percent that's true, but the concern is mostly because they are reaching the withdrawal limit, right? They've had the B-REIT fund for uh, for this housing stuff for like over a couple of years, and they were never close to meeting that limit. People were just putting in more and more money because they were giving it, they were returning like crazy numbers. I think it was like thirteen um, per, for the past year, uh, a return of thirteen percent, which is really high. Um, but now, uh, because of the recession or <clears throat> the beginning of the recession, a lot of people are starting to pull their fund, their money out of the fund. Uh, a lot of that being said, like a lot of the investors that were pulling out of the fund were people from uh, overseas, people that are in China. Who in China, like things are going crazy right now. You know, the lockdowns are still here, even though they're loosening it up. Um, all these housing projects like are going basically bankrupt. So people are. People are like going poor in China. So a lot of people are pulling out funds there. Um, that being said, it doesn't mean there are no concerns. Um, I think at some point in 2023, Blackstone's going to have to sell off some assets. The reason being is because we haven't even hit peak recession yet. You know, like you hear a lot of people in tech losing jobs. Uh, there, are, there are other companies out there that are starting to lay people off. I think Pepsi is laying off like a couple hundred people, which is not a lot, but there's going to be a trickle-down effect. And uh, when that happens, property prices are going to be worth less. So what happens with Blackstone and their asset is, <clears throat> I think like every year they would have to like reassess all their portfolio <clears throat> the assets under the portfolio, right? Because they own all these uh, houses and commercial buildings um the last time they did an assessment was in 2021 or early 2022 and the the prices of these assets were worth way higher than they really are right because of all the inflation 
So I'm guessing in 2023 or even the end of this year, they would have to do a reassessment and then the assets are going to come back low. And this is going to affect them in many ways, right? Um, so part of how Blackstone makes money is they charge a fee to manage um, the property. So they charge like 2%. But then, like, if it, if it's if they had they had a portfolio of like hundred billion, like two percent of that is a lot. But like, what if their assets come down to only ninety billion? And then, of course, they're gonna uh, lose money um, from from managing these assets. And also, at some point, the building might not be worth what they bought it for. Which I don't know if it's true because Blackstone has a, a lot of negotiating power. So, in the event that their their properties are worth less than what they buy for if they're underwater and they feel like what whatever they're renting these out cannot um what what they're renting it out for is not worth uh, having on their balance sheet they'll have to they'll have to sell like they will sell at a loss especially if they see a trajectory of it going down right so if they let's say they bought a house for like uh just for whatever a hundred thousand dollars and then they do an assessment the house is only worth like ninety thousand dollars Right, these are just numbers I'm making up. They might want to sell even at a loss because they could see the trend going down. They're like, it's better probably to sell at ninety thousand than just hold it at until it hits like eighty thousand. Um, which is uh, which is very likely, especially because uh, private equity and like publicly traded companies like that, they don't really have uh, they. You might think they have like a long term horizon, and they could hold through uh, like the 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 peaks and the dips and the valleys, but it's not true because they have, uh, they have shareholders. So what they need to do is like try to lose as little money as possible and, uh, try to make as much profit as possible. Right. So if they, first thing they need to do is like not lose money. And the second thing is try to make money. Um, and investors are not going to like it if they see their portfolio, just, uh, the asset, the worth of their portfolio just keeps going down and down and down. Right. So they would have to sell, even though the smart thing for them to do is actually to probably hold through the next recession because they have the money to do it. What they should do is hold through it and buy even more properties when they're worth nothing. But it's going to be very hard for them to convince uh, their investors. But then on our side, um, us regular people, I guess, like this is a really great opportunity for us to for people that have money saved up to maybe buy some property. If it ever comes down to your, your range level, like for me, houses in California still needs to drop like uh, 20 more percent to 30 percent for me to even be able to even consider buying something because I'm poor, guys, because I'm poor. But I think there will be an opportunity in the next year, um, especially 2023. I think we're going to hit a pretty big recession. 2024 will be a, probably a good time to to buy some property. Um, but I mean, what do I know? I'm just recording this pod in my room in my studio apartment. So what do I know? Nothing. I don't know shit. Um, right now, I, uh, just along this, along with the housing, I think housing, uh, is starting to dry up a little bit. Prices are already falling and staying on market for longer. Um, however, there's still not a huge supply of housing. We're going to get there at some point, but until people lose their shirts and lose all their jobs and if they're able to pay off their mortgage, no one's going to sell their homes. No one's going to want to trade a 
a, a 2% mortgage rate and trade for like a 6% mortgage rate. That's insane. No one's going to do that. The only way they're going to sell is when people are caught with their pants down. You know what I mean? Like for those that are over leveraged, have like six <laughs> six homes and they only have like one income. So if they lose, they lose money from one house, they'll lose all their properties. Like those are the people that are going to be hit the most. Um, these Airbnb, Airbnb investors will probably be hit, but... None of that's going to happen until people start losing their jobs, which I'm not saying I want that to happen, but it, it probably will at some point. Um, inflation is still going to be high. Uh, at some point, the Fed's going to raise interest rates high enough where where people will, uh, will just <laughs> have to lose their jobs and sell their homes. <coughs> um, and I just don't think people are looking to invest in in residential housing at least right now you know what i mean like the in, like i don't even know how you if, if you were buying today i don't even know how you would make money off renting it out the mortgage rates are so high like you buy a home that last year like your mortgage payments would be like three thousand dollars but because of the the interest hikes like now you'd be paying six thousand dollars for like the same same home for the same price but houses are more expensive now and the mortgage rates are higher so it's gonna be like i'm like how do you even how do you even make money like as a as a as a uh, investor right now in in real estate i don't even know drop a comment if you could tell me how to make money at this in this climate um even when it was good like a lot of people don't make a lot of money off their rentals right like like a good spread would be a, a, a good return, I guess, is like a spread between like 6% to 12%. That's insanely low, especially think about like only making 6% return a month on your, on your rental apartment. You had to deal with like shitty tenants, neighbors. If you have someone manage your company, it's, there's so many things you need to take care about Take care, you know, you gotta worry about a lot of stuff and, there's really n no reason to even invest in for the everyday person to invest in a real estate, a rental property right now, especially because interest rates are so high. You're basically better off buying bonds or short-term uh, treasury bills, which is what I've been doing lately. Um, uh, I think treasury bills right now are just like slightly under 4% a year. And what you could do is like, you could just buy them the uh, short-term bills, right? So you could, you could still have that cash. Um, so what I would do is like I, I take, so I buy the shortest uh, treasury bills possible, which is four weeks. So you you put in, you let the government borrow your money, and then four weeks later, return your your money back with um, with a percentage, right? So it's actually not a lot because the the annual the a APR is four uh, percent. So if it's four weeks, you're only getting like a couple bucks, depending on how much money you put in. Um, but over the long term, it's it's a really good uh, it's a really good uh, investment or even, not even investment, but like a place to park your money because it's it's basically risk free. Um, the government always pays its bills. They're like the Lannisters. <laughs> but yeah, so what I do, uh, what my what I've been investing in the T bills is I, I so I had a, I had a I have a bunch of money. I spread it up into four groups, and because they expire every four weeks. I, uh, I stagger them, right? Or what they call a ladder. So I take like a quarter of my money. I, I will, let's say I will invest it in this week. I'll buy the bills this week and I'll take another quarter of the money and I'll buy it next week and then so forth and so forth. 
Um, so that way I could just keep, um, I could, I could, I could basically get part of my money back in case like the market tanks enough and I need the liquidity to buy more stocks. So this way, every week I get like a quarter of my money back after four weeks. Right. And, uh, if, and if there's nothing to buy, I just uh, roll over my four weeks to another four weeks. So every week I'll have liquidity and then I'm also, uh, getting, getting uh, money for my money um, which is a good way to for for everyone to use a strategy to you know like not lose a lot of money on your cash you know what I mean at least make a couple bucks on the cash you're holding which is better than most banks um actually some there's some high interest uh savings accounts out there that are pretty good but they all tend to lag uh treasury bills which Honestly, I didn't even look into it for like 30 years of my life uh, investing. I just started looking up like this past month because I was like, dude, I have all this cash that I'm not spending because I don't want to put it all into the stock market right now, you know? So so there's that. Uh, treasury bills. It's a good place. I also wanted to talk about... Um, hold on. I'm just going to... Oh, I'm going to take a break right now. I just watched... <laughs> I just watched the UFC yesterday. Uh, I think it's 282 with um, Patty the Batty against Jared Gordon as the co-head. And then the other guy was... Uh, who's the other guy? Uh, the big guy. Uh, against... So there's that Russian guy at UFC 280. Sorry for the... Lol. Ah. And Blakovich against uh, Ankalev. This was a cra okay. This is this was a crazy, crazy card. It was a good good card. Um, but I just want to jump straight into uh, Patty the Baddies fight. I, I don't even know how this guy. So this basically, if you guys didn't watch it, Patty the Batty was in a three round fight, and in my opinion, I think most opinion he was. He was getting dominated three rounds to zero, right? So the scorecard should be a 30-27. He didn't have a chance of winning. But for some reason, it went to decision, and all three judges scored the fight for Patty the Batty. So Jared Gordon gets robbed. Patty the Batty wins the fight from decision, even though everybody, at least according to eye test, but I don't think he was even close. Like, he got destroyed. And my... My I, my question is like I thought because of gambling I think a lot of people are gonna be really pissed and like isn't Vegas run by the mafia isn't the mafia like out there betting a bunch of money on the fights you know what I mean like I, I wonder if these judges were were bribed to basically let Patty win you know you know what I mean like they're like hey I'll give you twenty thousand dollars if you score for patty batty and they, they probably didn't know it was going to be as close so i don't know if they were bought off and if they weren't bought off like wouldn't a bunch of people like billions of dollars at least i mean i don't know billions but like millions of dollars are being bet on this fight and i'm just thinking about how many people are losing their money right because they bet they bet the underdog um jared gordon it's it's also kind of crazy how reputation switches <laughs> super quick. I think uh, this year, twenty twenty two, Patty the Batty was like one of the most exciting player uh, fighters coming coming out of the UFC. You know, he 
he's a weird guy from Liverpool with crazy blonde hair looking like a beetle. He's kind of a goofy kid. He likes to gain a ton of weight when he's not fighting. Like he has basically what people think, like Conor McGregor or Sean O'Malley has. Like he has he has the it factor. He's a he's a character, you know what I mean? Like he people just rally behind him. But just with just in this week, I think his stock dropped a lot. I think he just became a villain in like a span of five days. The first thing he did was he basically had Dana White on his podcast, and he was just like, for lack of better words, he was like verbally sucking off Dana White. You know what I mean? He just went on this whole rant shitting on Ariel Helwani, who's a, a, I guess, an MMA journalist. I mean, I don't really like this guy, but he's Patty Bad just looks real bad saying like. Uh, Helwani was like making money off of fighters and Dana White is giving people what they deserve in the fight in the fighting world which is crazy because some of these fighters are making shit dude you mean there are fighters like in the undercard that are making like $10,000 a fight which is insane like $10,000 just to fight is not a lot of money if you think about it Okay, people only fight like maybe once or twice a year so you're telling me they can make like $20,000 a year and that's in- including they had to pay their coaches and everything, their gym membership, and their agents, the managers, if they have it. Like, that's not a lot of money, man. And I get it. Like, you could become a star and you could make money outside. Like, Sean O'Malley and uh, Patty Batty, like, they make most of their money outside of the UFC, right? They, they gain their notoriety in fighting, but they make money off, like, their merch, on their podcasts. Conor McGregor made a bunch of money fighting Mayweather, which he leveraged his infamy in ufc to get a hundred million dollar fight and then he had the whole uh, the the whiskey brand but the truth is like not a lot of people like have the the backings of the fans right like some people just like to like to fight and they're just good at fighting for, for example like uh michael chandler who just came to the ufc like he's a good fighter but like he's just not He's just not as bankable, right? Same thing with Henry Cejudo. Henry Cejudo, I think, is one of the probably the best fighters USC has ever had, but like he's just not as popular as he should be. He's a gold medalist, two division champ. Like he should be making a ton of money, but he's just he's just a smaller dude, you know. Like fans don't typically like smaller guys in the UFC, and he's his character is weird. Like I don't know, like it's, and he's not making any money, but like Sean O'Malley. And Patty and Patty is making way more money than he is, even though they're they haven't won anything yet, right? And I'm not saying that's fair or not. I'm just saying like maybe if you're like <laughs> if you, you sell yourself well and you're a likable person, like don't shit on the rest of the thousand people roster in the UFC. Um, but that being said, I I uh, I if you guys don't know, you could actually own the UFC, like you could buy stocks in the UFC. Um, they're owned by Endeavor. Group, I think, or Endeavor Entertainment, EDR, ticker symbol. Um, so most of their, I think it's the business is between like three things, but it's mostly, they make most of their money through the UFC and uh, also their management company. So they, I guess they manage like talent. They manage athletes, actors, and stuff like that. Kind of like, a, I don't even know these what these man, agencies, these uh, agent management agencies are called. But basically, that's what they do. And I think currently right now, when they when they when they I think when they bought when they bought uh, the UFC a couple of years ago, um, 
UFC bought the UFC for like two billion dollars market cap. Not market cap. They bought it for two uh, two billion dollars. Not million dollars. Excuse me. Two billion dollars, which I think is probably a reasonable price. I think most NBA teams are probably worth like three four billion dollars now in twenty twenty two. And I think the UFC is probably worth that. Maybe a little less, maybe even a little more. Actually, I think the the, the whole UFC is probably worth more than the average uh, sports team, in my opinion. Um, especially like a shitty sports team like the Detroit Pistons or the LA uh, Chargers. <laughs> I don't know, but I think Dana White came out and said the the team is uh, the UFC brand is worth ten billion. I don't know about that right now. I'm not too sure like where most of their money comes from. Of course, they have like they have sponsorships, the rings, the sponsorships. They have pay per view. They got like a streaming contract with Disney and ESPN Plus. But the money is not that. There's not that much money in it right now. You know, I think the the streaming rights is probably less than a billion dollars with Disney over four four seven years. I don't really know. Pay per view. I'm not sure how much money they make off of pay-per-view, honestly. Um, they sell out basically every event, but I don't know how much of that is really a... I don't know how much is our ticket sales make up like the revenue of a, of a business. This is something I probably could look up, look up or look into, which is a good way to kind of value the UFC. Anyway, what I'm trying to say is right now the market cap for Endeavor is about $6 billion. Um and I think they're 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 saying that probably UFC is probably worth the two to three billion. And the other half is the management company. I don't know about managing talent. Like that is such a fickle business. I guess they. I guess like uh, these talent agencies have like uh, what they call like a monopoly, right? So I think kind of like with uh, Ticketmaster and um, who's the owner of Ticketmaster live nation. Like they have, they have power because they, they manage so many, so many, um, music stars, uh, rock stars and stuff. Like if people don't go through Ticketmaster, they're like, all right, then Taylor Swift's not going to perform here. Um, so-and-so is not going to perform here. So they hold a lot of weight. So I'm guessing the management has, does have the moat. Like they have so much talent. They have probably really good directors and actresses, that people probably won't leave and go to like a boutique management. I'm assuming unless you're like a huge star like Ryan Reynolds, right? You could CAA, I think, is one of the groups. But let's say you're Ryan Reynolds and you're managed by uh, Endeavor, you might be able to just leave because you have the name. But like for most people that are just acting, they will probably won't leave because they're like, okay, I have connections through this agency. But I don't know. I feel like. <laughs> Like Hollywood is such a like a I feel like it's so unstable. Like at any time someone could get canceled and your your moneymaker could could be dropped because they get canceled. Like if they're Kanye or something, they could get dropped by an agency. If they're a comedian and say something wrong, they could get dropped. And if they they're making you guys a lot of money, like that could be a huge hit. Um and all it needs is like one scandal. What if like Endeavor has like a bunch of people just like sexual harassing people and then uh, the scandal breaks out and it turns out like 10 of their biggest uh actors are sexually harassing people and it's all the executives are in it then overnight that business is basically goes from six billion to zero zero billions or zero dollars 
Um, so for me, I think when I'm looking at that, I think the most, for me, the most valuable asset they have is um, the UFC. But right now, I don't want to pay $6 billion for a UFC. You know what I mean? I don't think that's a fair price. I think maybe the USC is worth like three billion. So, anyways, I I I feel I see an opportunity next year, um, in twenty twenty three, where I think the recession will will be hit, and like smaller cap companies like Endeavor is going to hit be hit the most when people are losing money. They always sell like the most speculative assets, so smaller cap stocks like that's going to get hit. If Google's going to get hit like 30% next year, Endeavor's going to get hit by like 50%, you know? So I think maybe next year there's going to be an opportunity to buy Endeavor if it ever hits um, if it ever hits a $3 billion market cap. I'm, I'm buying, guys. I am certainly buying. Anyway, this is about 25 minutes. It's a shorter, shorter, shorter shorter uh podcast um i i do have more stuff to talk about but i think i'm gonna split it in half just because i don't want to make it too long and i i I want people to actually watch this i don't know i don't know if people actually watch the whole thing so maybe you'll get a little bit of what i'm gonna talk about for the next one guys i'll talk to you guys later peace